0: I am Sumit Gupta and this is Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams at work and life. This is a podcast for people who know deep inside that there is more. Have you achieved a great deal of success, but on the inside you still feel empty and like an imposter? Do other people see you as a strong leader and you wonder why it still feels so lonely and suffocating? The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. I dare to speak to the tremendous power which you already have rather than what you believe are your strengths and limitations. This podcast is called Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. And this is the Leadership Journey Series. I am interviewing leaders with an interesting story to learn how they got where they are today. We all have a lot to learn from each other's stories of where we started, where we are now, and our successes and struggles on the way. With this series of interviews, my attempt is to give leaders an opportunity to share their stories and for all of us to learn from their generous sharing. Marlene Edwards has a proven track record in leading innovative fintech companies. She is the co-founder and CEO of N-Exchange since 2015 and Gold Republic since the last 12 years. She is accomplished in developing corporate alliances and possesses excellent communication skills and a capacity to inspire others. She did this interview with me from a houseboat over the canals of Amsterdam and where she was for a management offsite with her team. In this interview, she spoke about her love for mountain climbing and how that has taught her persistence and patience. She also shares about growing up in Curaçao, in the Caribbean, and then moving to Amsterdam at 19, made her feel like a stranger in her own country, and how that has shaped her as a person and then as a leader. Welcome, Marlene, on the Choosing Leadership podcast. Thank you very much, uh, (laughs) Sunit. Looking forward. Yes, good good to have you here. And for our listeners, can you start by maybe introducing yourself and how you came to be where you are today?
1: Of course. Yeah. My name is Marlene Everts I'm the founder of companies, Gold Republic and Exchange. By now we have a group of uh, companies that are yeah, very specialized in trading dis- digital assets. I've been an entrepreneur for 12 years now. Yeah. I've been around for a while, pre-blockchain, post-blockchain periods. I'm 44 years. I live in Amsterdam and yeah, I'm looking forward to your questions.
0: Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and uh, I, I cannot put my eyes off the beautiful canal houses of Amsterdam, <laughs> right, right behind you. And I think, and I think that makes it a perfect uh, backdrop for our interview.
1: Yeah, this is actually. Unfortunately, this is not my house. It's we're actually at a um, management team offsite at this moment, and we do that in one of the beautiful houseboats in the middle of the canals in Amsterdam. Uh, also to get inspired, but it's, uh, it's getting sunnier right now in Amsterdam. And that's the, the moment when everybody wants to go out and just enjoy So, uh, Yeah. It's not a, bit, a bad spot to be at, <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I love it. Yeah. I'm actually originally not from Amsterdam. Uh, I grew up on, uh, in the Dutch Caribbean on a small island called Curacao, And I moved to the Netherlands when I was 19. so, yeah, it's uh, the longest period I have lived in Amsterdam. But I also lived in uh, Chicago for a while, for a couple of years. But Amsterdam, yeah, I consider it my kind of second home now. I got used to it. I enjoy it. Beautiful city. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So tell me about that. You're growing up in the Caribbean and then now coming back to Amsterdam and then you becoming an entrepreneur. How has that shaped uh, your life?
1: Oh, it's shaped my life a lot. Curacao is a tiny island. At the time I lived there, I think only 120,000 people lived there. But is it has a very large natural port. So a lot of goods are transported to the U.S. or to South America through the havens of, uh, of Curacao. And it also used to be a various financial center at that time. That's all changed now, but that's basically created a lot of entrepreneurship on Curacao, also a lot of churn in, in terms of people. So when I was young, I really got used to, yeah, get to know new people, but also say goodbye again, because every hmm. person that would get to Curacao usually stay there between one and three years. So you you would get very good friends and then they move out again to all kinds of regions all over the world. But you are, it's a very small community, of course. So you get to know each other very well, each other's parents, brothers, friends, etc. cetera. So yeah, that, that definitely shaped my life. My father was an entrepreneur. He always stimulated me to be very independent and... Yeah, I think for me, I don't necessarily need to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. At least by now I enjoy it because I have a lot of freedom and... But for me, it doesn't really matter whether I do it, I work for myself or for anyone else, as long as I get the freedom that I uh, want to have. But in 2010 I or 2009, at the end of 2009, I quit my job from Optifer, There's a global uh, arbitrage uh, firm uh, where I was the managing director in in the U.S. I had to go back to the Netherlands. I was 30 and I was like, at the stage, I had a very heavy non-compete, so I couldn't go into derivatives trading back. So I had to go for a year and I applied for a couple of jobs. No, at first I thought, okay, I'm going to travel and just enjoy life for a year. I felt way too energetic and too young to do that. So I looked around and I applied for a few jobs, but it was like nothing came even close to what I was responsible for at Optifer and what kind yeah, the interest, etc. So I thought like, no, that's also not gonna work. What I did is I offered my myself as free capacity to anyone who to use it. And at the same time, I also had money to invest because I was partnered at optifer, I had to find a purpose for it. And what I find striking, and this was 2009, so yeah, almost in the midst of the financial uh, crisis, or uh, just after the financial crisis, I should say. I find it striking how intransparent investments products were, how uncapable most asset managers are in terms of identifying risk and and giving transparency in terms of price and, and risks of their portfolios. And there were so many things. And at the same time, I and the whole digitalization was coming up and I thought, okay, there are certainly a couple of things that can be improved. And I was particularly interested in digitizing assets. And I, at that time, which was not unlogical, I wanted to allocate some of my funds to physical gold because of yeah, what was happening at that moment. And... At that time in the Netherlands, there was no possibility to buy physical gold anymore at the banks. All the b- banks closed their a billion departments. So I had to figure out how I was going to do that. And I figured that yeah, if I am in need for it, there probably are more people that are interested in doing that as well. So I might as well then build a solution that others can use as well. Well, that grew into Gold Republic. Gold Republic at this moment sells physical billion to retail investors. And it's immediately stored in professional vaults all over the world. And their customers can either keep it in the vault or get it out of the vault. That became a quite a large company. I think by now we have about uh, 350 million in billion under management or billion under custody, I should say. We have approximately, I think uh, about 40,000 um, active customers. And I never dared to dream that it would really work, yeah. <laughs> work out in the way I, I intended it to work out. Gold, per definition, is is a product that you because I wanted to digitize it. I was I had no interest in having a shop where people can come by and and buy gold and then leave, or where I had to do the assaying of the gold, et cetera. So I wanted to have a. A, 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 a situation where I can buy the physical gold and guarantee that the quality of the gold is what I want it to be, that it's investment grade gold, that I can always sell it back. And that is the storage, the insurance, et cetera, has been taken care of because those things are difficult when it comes to owning gold. I had no interest of keeping gold at home for safety reasons and gold, I didn't realize that, but gold is the... Best product to what we now call tokenize. Mm. Uh, Why? Because every gold bar is a unique gold bar. It has a number stamped into it. And because of that, you can change ownership at a distance. Meaning if it's in the vault. Next to owning one bar of gold, you can also co-own a bar of gold. You Mm -hmm. can recognize the bar of gold. And the legal title, the legal ownership title, whether you own a full bar or whether you co-own a bar is exactly the same. So you have the same legal rights to that mm-hmm. bar only for a smaller fraction. And yes, of course, if anything will ever happen the Gold Republic and you need to get your gold bar out, and if you co-own a bar with multiple owners, then you need to agree with those owners what's going to happen with gold, whether you're going to melt it or you're going to sell it or whatsoever. But your legal title is... Is, is, is what it should be. That's what we call tokenization right now. So we always know who owns which bar of gold,
0: hmm.
1: uh, what the bar number is, what the location is, which records stored in, and we have to prove that over and over again. Hmm. Uh, because every time there's a transaction and at this time we have like multiple transactions. We need to update our ownership registration and basically reinform everyone who holds what, the vaults, etc. So because of that, we are always have been very familiar with digitized assets. How you do that, how you set that up. I I really learned a lot. And what I also learned was I think there is always a cage for holding gold, Also Obviously in these Mm -hmm. times for the wrong reasons, we sell a lot of gold because people are worried about high inflation, about the war, about Corona, whatever happened over the past two years. But I think there always is a case for holding gold as an allocation in your portfolio, not to only hold gold, but as an allocation in your portfolio. And that's what people just, they buy it and they accumulate it. It's very funny. We have two types of customers, like really the 55 plus customers who uh, have been uh, previous employers who allocate larger positions to gold, or previous uh, entrepreneurs. But we also uh, have a large group of customers and younger people in the age category of 18 till 25 who accumulate gold at this moment. Mm. And the funny thing is that between 25 and 55, almost nothing happens, and that says something about our generation. The dynamics of our company changed a lot, but I did have the feeling of I wanted. I also wanted to be active in an area where it's not always about making an investment to hedge your risks, because that's what you do with gold. You hedge your cash portfolio. Mm-hmm. You hedge yourself against inflation. You basically think of all the worst things that could happen, and that's why by most people buy the gold. So I wanted to be active in an area where I can contribute to economic prosperity. To to development, et cetera. So in 2016, I was approached for the first time. We don't only sell gold to own um, Gold Republic through our own brand, but we also white label our platform to third parties. And I was approached by a company called Fastnet that was interested in white labeling our software for a capital mm. raise. And this was also pre-crowdfunding, uh, pre-blockchain, and I thought, Okay. That's interesting. And it immediately hit me. I was like enthusiastic and thought, okay, if I can sell bull to retail customers, it can be super interesting to sell a company in active and active in electrical charging with, a ve- they had a very strong community and this isn't a company with a good intrinsic value. We did the first capital raise for them and then listed them to our new company called N-Exchange hmm. and everything went almost hundred percent according to book. We have built an exchange in a relatively short time frame, uh, And by now, an exchange is a, yeah, it's authentic. fintech, I would say, where Gold Republic is the place to go for uh, gold. An exchange is the place to go for impact investing.
0: Hmm.
1: And instead of like uh, on an exchange with, or on the crowdfunding platform, normally have capital races in the primary market. On an exchange, we really focus on building solid impact investing investments. So create and build our own products, which we offer to the retail investors. And these are particularly investments where retail investments, uh, investors normally don't have access to. So we have, by now we have two products active. One is green bonds where smaller ticket investors can invest in the same type of green bonds that usually the institutional investors do, where they get a return. Which is a lot higher than the negative returns that we that we have on on our interest on our savings accounts, and the second product that uh, that we are running now is is startup investing, also a an area where up until now you can only invest in startups if you would be in business angel, if you would invest at least two hundred thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand in a startup and in, in one startup, and then you have to go for the lucky shot, right? Uh, did you find the next uh, Google or Facebook? Uh, on the average space, startups, there are a hundred, I think if I'm not mistaken, every year, 120,000 startups are basically starting mm. in Europe. That's a lot. So to find that one startup that you want to invest in, that's really, that's really difficult. If you look at the numbers, 90% of the startups that start Don't make it till the fourth year. So you need to look at at ways when you look at startup investing to increase those numbers. So what we are doing is we, we built a new investment proposition around it. We say, don't invest in one startup, but invest in a basket of startups. So at this moment, we have a basket of 90 startups where you can invest in, but how do you do the selection of those ninety startups? one hundred and twenty startups are produced every year. So we collaborate with a very yeah with very good startup accelerators. In this case, it's startup bootcamp, and that does the selection and the monitoring of all the startups. I think for every ten startups they see about seven thousand startups and drill that down to ten. So that's a lot of startups that have to grow to their systems and they are fully qualified to do so. so we we are uh, offering that now to the market. And instead of needing to be a business angel that invests like 250,000 euros, you can now invest in the same composition with 100 euros. That makes it a a retail product. These startups are all impact startups. They really contribute to like basically making a next next step uh, in our world. I think it's important. I'm not per se someone who, Always have been very active in the sustainability area, but I see it from two ways. I think we we actually are in a situation where our resources are are basically getting finished. So it's a no-brainer that we need to do something about it. Energy prices are going through the roof, etc. But what you also see, if you look at the market, if it's if you if you try to predict where it can be going and what is happening in the world, then it's a no-brainer that. Impact investing is going to get a massive demand. That there, that the the upside is is basically there. Larry Frank from BlackRock said, like the next thousand unicorns are not going to be the Facebooks and the Googles. It's going to be those startups that make scalable large contribution to our energy transition and our cra- climate goals. Those are the startups that probably has the highest innovation levels and that they get the highest returns uh, in a future shop.
0: So finance has been a common thread, right? All across your career and now even in your two companies. Can you share how is that a passion for you or is there a passion for finance or sustainability or contributing to economic prosperity that has been driving you you towards these particular companies?
1: It's definitely finance that drives me, but I think I am a, a pretty creative I'm a weirdo in the finance world. I'm a woman. me, mm-hmm. one of the few, few women acted uh, here, uh, but I'm also a very creative person. I'm good with numbers, that's for sure. Um, and I love to build scalable solutions that solve problems. And that, that's basically what I like. And I find that in the new financial world. I don't find that necessarily in the old financial world. In the old mm-hmm. financial world, things are... Organized and structured in a way where I don't feel at home. So, uh, yeah, also due to my background of Goldsmith, uh, Optifair, of course, it's where I started my career. So, once you are known for something and once you're specialized in something, it's very yeah. hard to get out. Having said that, I must say, I, next to the three companies that I now own, so because next to Goldsmith Public Exchange, we also have Bondex. I do, I take up a lot of initiatives and and those I don't consider as my main activities, but we are more in the area of media, producing nice things and music, film, you know, that I really like, but that's more my hobby.
0: Earlier, you mentioned about freedom, that freedom is very important to you. And at the same time, you actually run three companies. Can you explain that? Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs... And many times, often with just one company, they feel that they have no freedom or they have no time left. How do you define freedom? And then how does you running three companies contribute to that freedom?
1: I define freedom that I am in charge and in control doing what I feel is necessary to do. Hmm. And I consider that the greatest good that you can possibly have. If you are capable financially and from a management perspective to make the decisions that are hard to make. But if you can take them legally and financially, (laughs) and even also uh, inspire the team of the people that you work with to follow you, and that's the greatest gift, that's the greatest freedom that you can get. Does that mean that sometimes you have to work hard? Yes. But I also... When I was, I, I think five years ago, I probably, I never slept. I'm, I'm not a big sleeper in any case, but I used to sleep about two or three hours every day. And sometimes I would even skip a night. I don't do that anymore. I think Corona in a weird kind of way contributed to the way I, I how I live. I, I do next to my, my work. I, I, I work out a lot, mm. uh, managed to, in my company, set myself aside. Let the teams focus on op- the operations, and I basically uh, run my own department in the companies where I'm free. Then I can do whatever I w- what I want, and nobody is reliant of me. And when needed, when something is developed enough, then I can hand it over to a team and move over to the next step. So I do have quite a lot of time. I I don't feel, sometimes busy. Yeah. But that also has to do with my private life or other things that I, I used to do. And with the fact that, yeah, there's sometimes, it, if this is it fan, excuse my language, it never comes to
0: hmm.
1: If it goes wrong, then, um, then everything basically goes wrong and then you have to work hard to get everything right again. But also by getting a little bit older, you get more experience. So. Yeah, you then basically need to work on that and and you can see things coming up and you can prevent them from happening.
0: Thank you. As you move ahead into the future, what do you see different for yourself as a person, but also for the two companies that you're running?
1: Oh, I actually enjoy what I do. So, and I also, if I don't enjoy what I do, I stop doing it. I... Golden Public is is, is a very nice company to have. It's already long ago in a situation where we don't need to worry about uh, anything anymore. And Exchange, it's still in its developing stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's almost like Olympic sports because you think of something and you don't know yet upfront if it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. So you really need to be very on top of the, the game very focused on making that happen. Mm-hmm. So I think for the upcoming years, exchange and Bondex are my main focus. exchange mainly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, next to that, I try to travel a lot. I love climbing. Yeah, last year I climbed the Kilimanjaro. This year we're going to climb the, the Mont Blanc. Um, so. Basically preparing for that also takes up time. I don't know.
0: That's a very different side of yourself that you just shared with us. What inspires you to do mountain climbing? I'm very curious to hear that.
1: Physically, it's very hard, but you are at high uh, altitudes, so your body doesn't react in a way that you are normally used to how it should react. And that's tough. It's basically your body against nature and there's only a limit as to how you can influence that, but the beauty of a mountain and how quiet it is. And yeah, I think that the combination of that too is, uh, that is amazing. And that is something that, that triggers me. Yeah, I guess that.
0: Yeah. And how does overcoming that challenge of mountain climbing play a role in your life as an entrepreneur and as a leader? Does it make a difference? Does that give you lessons that you can translate and apply in the business world?
1: Yes. I think one of the the biggest important things is if things go well, then it's easy for anyone. But it's when things don't go well, it's what do you then do? And Mm. I strongly believe sitting behind the television doesn't bring you anything. Feeling depressed doesn't bring you anything. Sometimes you don't know the exit, but if you then stop and sit still, then you get in real trouble. So I think it's always important, even if you have no clue how you're going to resolve something, that you keep on moving. And that's the same with climbing. If you stop, if you get out of your emotion and then your body gives up basically. So that is, I think my biggest learning from the mountains. And then next to that, it all sounds very beautiful, but sometimes climbing is days of waiting and boring and seeing, feeling crap. And and it's nice also doing something with that. How do you structure your thoughts and what do you do with that? So it's this strange combination of persistency and also finding space.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I think both of these elements play an important role in any leader's life. The next question which I want to ask is who are the key people in your life who have shaped you as a person, and if you remember any key incidents that you would like to share with us.
1: I think, first of all, my dad, my father, yeah, he's both as a person, but also emotionally. I'm almost a copy of him, I think. And he really, he really was, was and is my best friend and really learned, he always asked the right Questions. So he's he's by far the most important person in my life. I would say, I think my previous CEO at Optifer, Randall Meyer is his name, I think that he definitely shaped a lot in my life because I never wanted to be there in the beginning, in the first place. I was way too creative to work in the financial sector, but he always supported me and pushed me forward. And he knew that based on my loyalty, I would stay. But because of that, I got so many chances in life and yeah, that is, that's definitely a very important person in my life. Yeah. And for the rest, yeah, so many people in their own sort of way, but my CTO, Alex, for example, we've worked together since the start and we function as like the left or right side of the brain. I don't need to speak to him. If I do a paper scissor, rock with him. We always have the same, always, doesn't matter whenever we do it, but that means that we're so aligned and so connected and yeah, that's really nice because he's like one of the best programmers I ever met and that means that you can translate your thoughts in a working application. And then that it's, that's awesome. It's amazing Yeah, we traveled the world, we did so many things together. So yeah, that's definitely a person that shaped my life for sure.
0: Thank you, Marlene, for sharing these examples. Is there something which people misunderstand about you?
1: Ah, that's an interesting question. I think I'm usually a very transparent person. So I, I share what I feel and what I think. And what I've always learned to do was to trust until the opposite is proven. And you can have different opinions about it. You can also turn it around and say you don't trust until the opposite. I think that once you know that about me, Then, yeah, like the remarks that I get a lot is okay. Interesting. You, you have this kind of weird family that you work with. (laughs) We've lived in Cape Town in the month of February with the whole team, for example, almost 30 people. I I don't do things as everybody expects to do it or according to the rules. Sometimes it's weird, but for me it works. And I used to, and I think that has a lot to do with moving from Curaçao when I was 18 to the Netherlands. In the beginning, I tried to adapt and I noticed that didn't work out. I spoke Dutch and I look a little bit Dutch, but that was it. I had no clue. I felt like I was from Mars. I learned that sometimes you just have to accept that you're different, uh, but that you can also trust your guts and do it and do it, and it will be okay.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Marlene. I am sure that moving at 19, as you said, to a country which is in a way your home, but where you have never lived before, would also have been uncomfortable. And yet at the same time, it has shaped you into who you are. And as you have said, you have learned to trust your gut and then be yourself. And you even use the word weirdo to describe yourself. I think to see it positively is to really have that courage and confidence, especially when you are an entrepreneur, you also talked about trusting people first rather than asking for reasons for trusting somebody. And I call it one of the paradoxes of working with people that if you give trust back to people, you also receive it. Rather than if you ask for reasons to trust somebody, it actually creates suspicion and makes it more difficult and it takes longer to build trust in that relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you do that?
0: So trusting others have come quite naturally to me because I've grown up in India, which is a very social country. And then you have to trust others and it becomes a skill that you inherit from others. On the other hand, I think what has been difficult for me is trusting my own gut and really learning to stand on my own feet and especially when that means going my own way. And I have been an entrepreneur at different times in my life, but I have always found it difficult to be the first person visible for the company. And I've always found it difficult to be in the limelight. I do feel comfortable now. I think there is a hierarchical status, hierarchical culture which you need to break out of, especially when you're growing up in India, to really trust your own gut. And that has been a learning experience for me. And I think that has made me much more complete. It's only because of that, that I am able to do the work that I do today.
1: And what are the pitfalls, right? Uh, have Have you ever done it and then figured out, oh, I shouldn't have done it like that? Have you ever had those situations?
0: Oh, yes. Many times, especially in the, early phase of my life, when this was still a blind spot for me, I remember I always had this urge of doing something or being in the limelight, but I would take it too far. And I would do that because internally I was feeling that I'm not enough. And then I need to stand up to to fill something, to fill a gap. So I've carried it too far at times. And that has resulted in some relationships which have been strained and where I have to apologize later. I think right now I have a very different view because I know how to express myself. I know how to stand my own ground and I know how to communicate to different people. And again, coming back to moving to the Netherlands, when I moved here, I had to work with people from many different countries and that teaches you a lot because when I talk to people here, I have no idea what they are listening to because I have no idea where they are coming from. So that has taken my listening skills to a very different level. And I'm constantly trying to focus on how I am being listened to rather than only focusing on what am I speaking. And that's a hugely powerful skill, especially in the context of leadership and which many people or many leaders miss because they are just too busy to to slow down and to really listen to how people are perceiving them.
1: Yeah. And then I'm also, you, you must speak to a lot of entrepreneurs. Now I learned a little bit about what I do and what my companies uh, do. Are there things that you find that you think, oh, that's strange or what kind of advice could you give me or maybe you should have a look at this or can I get some feedback um, interested in hearing that?
0: I think even though we have spoken for around half an hour now. I think it's too soon for me to share anything or any opinion that I might have formed in this short duration. I think over time I have learned to hold back and to really share my opinions when I know honestly that it can serve somebody else and right now I don't think it would be wise or valuable for you and I think maybe we would need a separate conversation and I would like to know more to sincerely share something in a way that it would serve you or it, it would benefit you and not the other way around.
1: No, that's totally fine. So if you ever yeah. feel free to, and also Ian, you know, that's, uh, that's what I always enjoy because I, yeah, most of the times they so interesting views on it that you can uh, do something with, that's in that's important for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I do want to acknowledge one thing, which I notice from what you have shared so far is that you have a very strong sense of who you are and where you are headed. And I think that's not trivial, especially for women. And I don't want to journalize, but in many cultures, especially if you go back a few decades, today we live in a very different world. But if I just go back 20 years, even in Europe and the US, the social world is still adapting to women who are speaking up and who have a voice. And I see that missing, often missing, in women entrepreneurs or women leaders, that they really step up and set their own boundaries. I think I could notice, or I could sense that strength in your voice. And that's why I wanted to dig a little deeper into your moving to the Netherlands, because very frankly, I did not sense any hesitation in your voice. And as I said, it's not common. So I want to appreciate that. And that's not trivial, yeah.
1: Okay, thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So to wrap this up, if somebody is an entrepreneur and they have a big dream, but they're facing some challenges, either because of personal issues like confidence or fear or external stuff like COVID and the economic stuff, what advice would you give them?
1: Oh, I think that especially... Situations like COVID, like the war, like inflation, like all the problems that we have right now, they also bring opportunities. New solutions need to be built. New situations are happening. So I think that that never should you hold back from starting or, or just doing what you want to do. But if you decide to become an entrepreneur, you have to have a thick skin, I think. And have to be ready to deal with maybe yourself, your self-doubt, yeah. uh, whether you can make it or not, uh, you truly believe in yourself because sometimes that can be you're you're a bit, a bit lonely you when you look behind your your back, yeah, sometimes you have a couple of shareholders, or but you are the one that needs to make the decisions. And I think you can only do that if you are at full peace with your own opinion and dream. And constantly need to reevaluate it and be very honest about yourself, towards yourself, whether you feel that, that you can do that. You have to be ready for a serious self doubt that, that can jump in at any point in time and then know how to deal with that. So no. I think there are always opportunities regardless of any situation and I do what you love and love what you do, but probably that's, it sounds so simple, but it's so super important. And nothing happens out of nothing. (laughs) You have it's just a simple equation. You have to put in energy.
0: (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. And I think for anybody who is listening, as you said, this is simple, but this is not trivial. And it is also not easy to have that peace, to be comfortable with what you really believe in. And it takes a long time for people to get there. So that's very valuable advice and especially when things are not going your way. And that also points to that mindset of looking for opportunities, especially when our culture tends to focus on problems and often miss out on what are the lessons from solving these problems or from going through this difficult period. Thank you for your time and thank you for being on the show.
1: Very nice uh, speaking to you.
0: Same here. I wish you the best of luck in the coming years. Thank you. you very much. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast, and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but also for those around you. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of i say what might be uncomfortable for me to say or for you to hear to show you that all our dreams which have been on hold are within our grasp if you like the sound of it do not forget to leave a rating i invite you to subscribe to my newsletter at deployyourself.com newsletter you can also reach out on linkedin twitter and facebook To share any other comment or feedback. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.